Thank you for joining us to hear today's message. At Faith Assembly, our passion and purpose is loving people to life in Christ. To find out more information, visit our website, faithnewcumberland.com. As leaders, we've just been praying really intentionally, okay, God, what, where are we as a church? How do we move to the kind of next step, the next place where you want us to be? And a uh, few areas have come up with thinking about discipleship and how we can be more intentional about making disciples, releasing disciples, <laughs> um, community outreach, how we can be more engaging in our community. Um, and then the other thing is Bible engagement or the engagement with the Word of God that uh, uh, we live in a culture that is becoming more and more Bible illiterate, uh, Bible um, uh, lacking understanding of scripture and even in our church in, not just necessarily just our church but in all churches in america especially there's becoming a kind of a pervasive that you know we love jesus but we might not know what his word is or what it says or how to read it and how to understand it so uh i know us as leaders and me as as your pastor i want to help you understand god's word better all right so it's great that we hear God's word preach once a week, or maybe you come twice a week and you hear teaching, but the way God's going to really begin to transform you on a daily basis is when we can encounter him in his word each and every day, you know, and so my goal in the next few weeks, and we're going to, you know, this will be kind of the emphasis of ours is, is helping all of us understand the Bible better. Okay, so that when we can each grab the Bible and open it and begin to have an understanding, you don't have to have someone there to explain everything to you, but you can have an understanding of, okay, what is the Bible? Why is it here? How do I read it? You know, how do I understand it? Because, you know, it can be intimidating, right? It's a big book, right? There's a lot of pages there. You know, some people just don't like to read. They've never liked to read. And the thought of reading the Bible is, is like, you know, a foreign concept. It's like reading an encyclopedia. They would never consider doing that. But my prayer is that you would understand what God's word is, what the Bible is. It's not just another book. It's not just something that goes in your library or on your shelf or on your coffee table. It's, it's the living, breathing word of God. And as you read, as you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand, God begins to speak to you he begins to change you. He begins to redirect your life. And so today we're just going to begin uh, by some simple basics of the Bible is. The Bible is. What is the Bible? So some of this might be simple. Some of this might be new. Um, but I really want to keep this kind of at a simple level. So the first thing, let's understand the Bible. The Bible is the most influential book ever written. Okay. Not only is the Bible the best-selling book of all time, listen to this, it's the best-selling book every year, every year. It's the best-selling book of the year, every year, every year. Now, I have friends that have written books, people that are always trying to be the best-selling author, and, you know, it's just trying to get there. Well, the Bible has always been the best-selling book every year. Listen to this. Just in the United States alone, 168,000 Bibles are distributed every day just in the United States, okay? 160, now just soak that in your brain. That's hard to even comprehend. 
168,000 Bibles are distributed in America. That's not the world. In just the United States, every single day. That's over 61 million Bibles a year. All right, so in our country, it's not a it's not a because of a lack of access to the Bible. You know, probably most of us own more Bibles than we can you know even remember. I have so many Bibles at home, and but just because I own Bibles doesn't know doesn't mean I know and understand the Bible. Right? You have to read the Bible, and it's not just collecting Bibles; it's having a Bible and reading it and understanding it. So. Over 5 billion copies. Now, this is an estimation. We don't really know because it's been years and years, but it's estimated 5 to 6 billion copies of the Bibles have been sold or distributed in its history. That's that's insane. That's, that is like a number that's beyond comprehension, over 5 billion copies of the Bible. Uh, according to the American Bible Society, in America, almost... Nine out of 10 households own a Bible, okay? 87% of American households own a Bible. The average household has three Bibles, (laughs) okay? So again, it's not, our issue isn't a lack of access to the Bible. It's our, maybe our lack of understanding how to engage with the Bible, you know? It would take the average person some people say, I want to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible cover to cover. And sometimes they make it a goal in their life. And one day I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. It would take the average person 70 hours. Just think about that. It's not actually that long if you think about it. 70 hours to read the entire Bible out loud. Okay? So let's break that down. If you spent just... 11 and a half minutes a day. So I'm going to read the Bible for 11 and a half minutes. In a whole year, you would read the entire Bible. All right? Sometimes we think, I got to read the Bible two hours a day, and then I'll finally get through it. How about you just start with 10 minutes? (laughs) Right? Read the Bible for 10 minutes a day. Make that kind of a daily discipline, a daily habit. And something you do for 30 days or more, it becomes a, a habit. It becomes a discipline. If you read the Bible for 30 minutes a day, you could read the entire Bible in 140 days, okay? Just a few months, you'd read the whole Bible. You'd say, I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day and read the Bible. Well, in just a few months, you'd read the whole Bible. We think it takes longer than it actually does, right? Now, you, you hand someone a big Harry Potter book or a big other book, and, man, they could read that in a weekend, you know? But the Bible is like, well, that's just, that's just a little too hard. That's a big book, you know. But over the past decade and more, the Bible engagement has been dramatically on the downcline. Down okay, listen to this. I'm throwing a lot of stats at you, but I just want to give you a picture of kind of where we are as a culture. In the 1990s, in the 1990s, And I would say the 90s were probably the heyday of the church, okay? A lot of us now, we think back of what church used to be, right? Oh, I wish we could go back. I wish it was like, that was a whole different culture. (laughs) We live in a different culture in 2018. You know, 1990s isn't going to happen again, all right? And God's going to have to do a new thing. Uh, new people's lives. So sometimes we th- we look back, oh, I wish it was like the old days. And we forget sometimes what the 90s were really like, you know. 
In the 1990s, nearly half of all American adults said they read the Bible at least once a week. Okay? You think, how do we get to where we are today? How, how do people make decisions? How come the families are falling? How come this? How come that? Because it was just a few years ago that half of every adult in America was reading the Bible. Now, it's one-third of adults read the Bible once or more in a week. And that, was, that stat was from a few years ago, 2016. So we went from half the country to a third of the country. And I'd say if people were honest, it would be a lot less than a third of all adults. The more often Americans attend church, the more likely they are to read the Bible. Okay? About 40% of those who attend worship services at least once a month read the Bible a little bit every single day. So almost half of Christians at least come to church, you know, Coming to church kind of does something like, man, I want to engage with God's word. I want to. But those who don't attend services or they come maybe less than once a month, only 13% of them read the Bible. So, you know, being a part of a church, being involved in the church is very important. It's you're, you're developing relationships. You're being fed the word of God. And God's doing something in your heart. He's giving you... Uh, a desire to want to grow in your relationship with him. So continue to continue to, to follow after him. So as your pastor, I want to, I want to do my best and us as leaders. I want to, we want to do our best to really equip you. You know, I want to preach God's word, but I want to, I think more than all, we want to help you understand God's word so you can read it. You can share it. You can proclaim it with other people and you know, that we can pass this, this thing on in a greater way. So let's get down to some basics. What is the Bible? I just came up with a simple definition. It's really hard to boil it down into simple, simple terms. But here is my stab, my attempt at a simple definition of what the Bible is. Never, you can see on the slide here. The Bible is a collection of God's words of life for all people at all times. The Bible is a collection of God's word of life for all people at all times. And we're going to break this down into pieces this morning. The Bible is a collection of God's words of life for all people at all times. Let's, let's start at the first, the word. The Bible is a collection. All right. Sometimes we, we, we are faced with the Bible and we think it was all written at the same time by the same person. It was just one giant book, like a Joseph Smith, the book of Mormon. He sat down and, and got zapped by some weird angel and he transcribed no that's not the bible that's the book of mormon we don't believe in the book of mormon the bible is a collection it's not a book per se it's a collection of various god-inspired writings there's stories in there okay there's genealogies in there there's poetry there's letters there's prophetic there's utterances there's on and on there's figurative speech there's literal speech it's not just one book or one style. It's a variety of styles and genres that God has used over the centuries to reveal himself more clearly to us. So the Bible's not a book, but a collection of various God-inspired writings that God has used over the centuries to reveal himself 
more clearly to people. I've hear, heard it explained, it's kind of like a library. You know, the Bible is kind of like a theological library. If you were to picture each book back in the old days was kind of like a scroll. It was written up, it was rolled up into scrolls and they'd had to carry these bundles of scrolls around, you know. We're just convenient enough to have it all in one simple, you know, book like this. But if you think of it, a collection, it's, it was like a library, like a treasure trove of God's words. God would speak to someone, and that's the next thing. It's not just a collection, but it's God's words, all right? God inspired human authors to write down his words of life, okay? Although they were written originally in different languages, okay, it was written in Hebrew language, it's written in Greek and Aramaic. Although it was written in these original languages, they are constantly being translated into the known written languages of the world. I heard a stat, I've, I, and uh, I forgot to write it down, but I believe it was 2030. It's estimated that the Bible will be translated in all the known languages of the world by the year 2030. That's 12 years from now. There's scriptures that talk about that, you know, when the word goes out to everyone, you know, that it'll be the time when Jesus comes back. But, I mean, just a few years away from everyone in the planet having the word of God in their own language. They're God's words. Human authors. God inspired human authors to write down his words. The source of these words is not man, but it's God himself. And again, we're going to spend a few weeks in this, so I'm just kind of touching on some of these areas, and we'll go a little bit deeper as the weeks go on. So it's a collection. It's a collection of God's words, all right? Popular culture today would say, well, it's just, no, it's man's words. It's man's collection. It's a man's fabrications. And no, we believe it's a collection of God's words. God inspired man. You read the Bible cover to cover. There's a cohesive story that God's telling how can that be accomplished over thousands of years if it was just some fabrication by some, you know? It, no, it's a collection of God's inspired words for all people at all times. Let's go to the next thing, life. God's words of life. God's words, God's word brings life and hope. I want to say that again. God's word brings life and hope. People today are scared of the Word of God. Well, God's Word, you know, the Bible does this, the Bible did that. And by, you're always going to have issues when, when humans are reading and interpreting, and so they, can, they can use anything to twist and get their, you know, and the Bible's been blamed for a lot of bad things. It's not because the Bible's bad, because people are bad, right? But the Bible... When you read it and you allow the Spirit to speak to you, it brings life. It brings hope. Not death and not despair. But our culture wants to throw this out, right? It wants to say, that's antiquated, that's old, let's get rid of it. And let's do what they did in France in the 1800s and let's just go based on our reason and our intellect. You know where that led then? (laughs) Chopping each other's heads off. They said, let's get rid of the church. Let's get rid of the Bibles. Let's get rid of the pastors. 
and all the churches were going to make temples of reason. That's just what happened in France in the 1800s. And what did they do? That was one guy's idea, and the, well, let's have a guillotine. Let's invent this device. We're going to cut off people's heads that don't agree with us and don't follow a line, and and they just didn't stop cutting off heads because the one person would disagree with the other, and they there was it was the the terror of of blood. I mean, just you can research all that, but that was. That was a society that rejected the Bible, rejected Christianity, rejected and say, we're going to go on our reason and our intellect. And our, and our country is really on that precipice today. People want to say, let's get rid of Christianity. Let's go based on what we feel and our emotions and our reason. And if we go down that way, it's going to be worse than the French Revolution, I'll tell you that. God's word brings life brings hope. So came up with an acrostic here of, if you want to understand the Bible in four words, and I, I mean, this is just kind of touching, again, just giving you some of the basic nuggets of how to really understand it. If you approach the Bible with no understanding and you say, you know, what is, what is the message of the Bible? Let's, let's look at it. Letter L. Life is found in obedience to God. That would be step one of the message of the Bible is that life is found in obedience to God. Life is found in obedience to God. Letter I. If we disobey God, there are consequences. Okay, so if life is found in obedience to God, well, if we disobey God, and you can look at examples, and we're going to do that in the weeks to come. We're going to look at each of these and break these down. And what is God saying? If we disobey God, there are consequences. So you read the Bible and you see God's people disobeyed him and there were consequences. Letter F. Forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. Okay, if you stop at letter I, you haven't entered Christian territory. You've entered, you know, you're still in Old Testament legal law times, right? I follow God. I If I don't... We're, we're in the New Testament time, all right? So Jesus has made it possible for forgiveness. So you need to read the Bible understanding this, even when you're reading Genesis, when you get to Leviticus, when you get to Deuteronomy, when you get to Isaiah, you need to understand that forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. And then the last one, letter E. Every word from God, I'd, I'd say this is, one of the most important. Every word from God draws us to Jesus. Those passages that you're like, be perfect for I am perfect. Be holy for I am holy. And you're like, Jesus, help me. I can barely, you know, barely, you know, do this right or do that right. And you remember, ah, Jesus <laughs> draws you to Jesus. Or you read a story like, yeah, I made that mistake or, you know, this happened and that. Oh, man, that's, that's terrible. And you remember every word of God draws you back to Jesus. What has he done? What is he doing? What will he do in your life? So here's a simple grid work as you're reading the Bible to think through these, these four letters, L-I-F-E. As you're reading the Bible, you're thinking, maybe you're confused, you're reading a passage, and you come across, I'm not sure what's going on here, and you just begin to think through this grid. Life is found in obedience to God. 
If we disobey God, there are consequences. Forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. Every word from God draws us to Jesus. In a simple way, that's a way to understand the Bible in those four letters, those four phrases. So it's a collection. It's God's words. It's life. And the last part is it's for all people at all times. And this is what I want to camp out for a few minutes this morning. For all people at all times. And this is where there's a, there can be confusion and people say, well, that's an old book. You know, that's just old stories. That's, that happened then. What about now? What, what's God going to do now? So here's two things I want you to understand. The Bible is both, you can write this down, it's both historic I'm making a distinction there. Historic, monumental. It's, if you want to define that, you can just say speaks about. The Bible speaks about. It's historic. It speaks about. But here's the second part. This is where it comes to us. It's prophetic. Prophetic. P-R-O-P-H-E-T-I-C. P-R-O. Prophetic. P-H-E-T-I-C. It speaks into. It's historic. It speaks about, okay? So you read stories and God doing something. God speaking about something. And then it's prophetic. It speaks into. It speaks into your situation. It speaks into your life. It speaks into your future. That's why the Bible is so powerful. It's not just a storybook of ancient stories. It's a prophetic book of God doing something today. The Bible speaks about situations that took place and it speaks into situations that are taking place and that will take place. That's why you never stop reading the Bible. It's God's always revealing himself. He's always doing something. You're struggling. You go every, you're, each day, each week, you have a new struggle, a new thing coming up. You need God's word to speak into that situation, right? You're not reading it to say, well, I read the Bible today. I checked that off. I check off my good checklist lists. I read the Bible so God can speak to me and help me live this life. God, give me the God, give me the direction. We need I need direction. I need Holy Spirit. Help me. So let's look at a few examples of how this how this happens. The Bible has historical significance, historic significance. It has modern significance and it has future significance. Let's take a few examples. The fall, the fall of man, okay? The Garden of Eden. Here's a story. Adam and Eve are in the garden, this beautiful, perfect garden. And you're reading the story and you think historic. Okay, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were unable to remain in the Garden of Eden, all right? Maybe you know that story. Maybe you don't. It's, it's one of the first stories in the Bible. God creates man. He gives them a simple, simple, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve is tempted by the serpent, and she gives Adam the, uh, she takes a bite of the fruit, and she gives it to Adam. And so they disobey God, okay? Remember, if we disobey God, there are consequences. So they disobey God, and they were kicked out of this perfect garden of Eden. It's historic. God's speaking something about 
a situation that took place. But it's not just a story of ancient times. It's a prophetic story. And here's, here's how we read this and understand the sin of disobedience affects every one of us. Think about this. If you were in the garden, I'd be saying I'd be taking the first bite, you know. <laughs> we're all Adam and we're all Eve. We, are, we all would be taking the bite. We want to judge them and say, how could they do that? They lived in such a perfect garden. The truth is we'd all be there. That's That's humanity. The sin of disobedience affects every one of us. But Jesus was sent to break the curse of sin and to bring us into his presence, into his garden, if you would. And the imagery of the garden, the imagery of eternity is a very similar parallel there of symbols. So the fall, it's historic, God's speaking about a situation, but it's prophetic, it's speaking into our situation. So people that want to argue, oh, that never happened, and, you know, they're missing out on the good news of that story. Man, we would all be eating that fruit. God's, we all deserve the curse, the punishment, but Jesus, man, he hung on a different tree. He hung on a tree to take the sin, the curse of my sin. Amen? The flood. How about the flood? Historic. It's humanity's sin was so great. You can read the story. God wasn't just something, he wasn't just in a grumpy mood. And No, it said the sin of humanity was so great, so prevalent that God had to step in. He had to do something. Humanity's sin was so great, so widespread around the whole earth that God had to send a great flood to set things right. But he spared Noah and his family. Historic, God speaking about a situation. Prophetic, one day God will again set things right by destroying all wickedness and by rescuing all those who have put their faith in Jesus. This time, God's judgment will be one of fire, not of water. The Bible speaks of that. The judgment of God will be a one of fire, not of a flood. So there's a historic significance of what God did. There's a prophetic significance of what God is doing and will do. Here's a few more examples. The Passover. You read about the story of the Israelites. They're in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. Finally, they're crying out to God, deliver us, save us. And God steps in. And he sends a deliverer, Moses, right? And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, you know, I know you got all these slaves working for you. And hey, would you just uh, let them go for free? And he's, Pharaoh's like, sure, take him. No, Pharaoh's like, no, that's my labor force. You know, those are my workers. And so God has to reveal himself to Pharaoh through these plagues. There's the blood, there's the frogs, there's the gnats, there's the boil, there's the hail. I mean, all these plagues and plagues and Pharaoh's like, no, his heart is hardened and hardened. He's like, no, you will not go. You will not go. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. But this is how it goes. It says the historic part of this is Moses told all the Israelites, you need to take a lamb 
You need to slaughter that lamb, and you need to take the blood from the lamb, and you need to smear it on your doorposts. And anyone who has the blood smeared on the doorposts, when the angel of death comes by, they will pass over that household. So there's a historic situation. God's revealing himself to Pharaoh, to the Israelites, also to the Hebrew people. God spares the firstborn of all who had brushed lamb's blood on the doorpost of their home. Jews today still celebrate Passover. They remember what God did. Prophetic, what's God doing today in our hearts? All whose sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus find forgiveness in life. That God's saying there's a Passover for you today. That there's an enemy that wants to take you out and a sin that wants to destroy your life. But if we will wash our sins with the blood of Jesus, God will forgive us. He will give us life. He will give us hope. That's God's word. That's his word of life. Amen? It's not just some story. It's a prophetic utterance of God to your life today. The Exodus. So the Passover happened. And finally, Pharaoh, his, his firstborn son, dies. And he's, he's just in anguish. And he's like, get out of my country. And, and the Hebrew people leave. So there's this Exodus. God used Moses to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. The prophetic, God sent Jesus to deliver us from slavery to sin. I love that Keith Green song. So you want to go back to Egypt, huh? You need to Google that song. Write this down. You can't be a Christian unless you're hurt. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keith Green, so you want to go back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt. Dun, dun, dun. He wrote a song about how even our, our lives sometimes, we God saves us, he delivers us, but then we think, well, I want to go back. <laughs> That's what the Israelites did. They got freed and then they wanted to go back. So the Exodus is a historic, it's also prophetic. God sent Jesus to deliver us out of bondage and into the next one, the promised land. The promised land. So God led them out of bondage and eventually he led them into the promised land. He talks about this land flowing with milk and honey. It was an abundant, fruitful, beautiful land. God provided the Israelites with a beautiful, fruitful homeland. Historic, what God spoke about a situation. Prophetic. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become a part of God's kingdom, and we will one day be with him forever in a new homeland, a new promised land, an eternity with him that we call heaven, right? The promised land, it's not just a story about something. It's a story of what God's doing and what he will do. It says that he goes and prepares a place for you. Think about it in those terms. God goes to prepare a promised land for you. Jonah, 
you know, Jonah and the whale. Jonah, God called to go preach the good news to Nineveh, and Jonah's like, no, thank you. <laughs> he tries to run from God. Have you ever tried to run? I've been there. I've tried to run from God. Doesn't work out. Three days, God had Jonah in the belly of a great fish. And, oh, yeah, you can debate. Was it a whale? Or the fish? Uh, who cares? what? It was a fish. You, know? you missed the story. You missed the whole point. People missed the whole point when they, when they begin to debate the, the details. and the It's just like you're missing it. God had Jonah in the belly of a great fish. But when he miraculously came out after how many days? Three days? Does this sound familiar? The wicked city of Nineveh was saved. He went and he preached the good news of God's salvation. He said, repent. And, and they do. They fast. They pray. And God saves the city of Nineveh. Historic. Prophetic. Jesus' body spent three days in a tomb. But when he miraculously came back to life, he brought salvation to all who receive him by faith. So you read that Jonah story and you read about the historic, wow, that's cool, man, that's awesome. Nineveh was saved, that's so neat. And then you think about, I'm Nineveh. <laughs> I need to be saved. God saved me. God sent, God sent a, a, a pure, righteous Jonah to save me. Jesus. And here's one. I, I, I added this in here because I'll hear Christians. It just There's a few of these that are some pet peeves of mine. And 2 Chronicles 7.14. Okay. It says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. I love this scripture. If my people will, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Historic. God was instructing Solomon and the people of Israel how to find their way back to God when they would soon be rebelling against him. They had built this temple and <clears throat> they're dedicating this and God's like, hey, Solomon, things are great right now. Things are awesome. But one day you're going to rebel. The people are going to turn away from me. And here's how you can find your way back to me. Repent. Come to me. Ask for my forgiveness and I will hear. I will restore. I will respond. I will heal here. This is a historic. Okay. He talks about the, there's going to be real consequences. You're going to have trouble growing things. There's not going to be rain. You're going to have rebellion and this issue and that issue and this. But he gives him the key. This is the key to find your way back to God. And people today, Christians, you know, cranky Christians today will say, oh, you know, people that say that verse for today, you know, don't you know the context of that verse? And that was only for them. And they miss the prophetic edge of, the, of what God's speaking today. It's the same thing to us. When you find your way far from God, here's the key to find your way back to God. Humility, prayer, surrender, repentance are the keys to finding my way back to God. 
God will answer with his forgiveness and with his spiritual healing. So I have no problem saying, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive the sin. I will heal their land. Yes, it's, it was historic, but yes, there's a prophetic utterance of what God is saying to your situation today. If you find yourself far from God, if you find yourself in disobedience, if you find yourself when life is not working out the way you thought, the only way to find your way back to God is to surrender your life to him. One more. Can you bear with one more today? I'm just having too much fun. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. These are great memory verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I love that scripture. Man, I encourage you to read the story of what's happening there. Here's the historic as you're reading this, you might come across like, wow, I didn't know that was happening. You read that and you're like, wow, God is amazing. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in the future. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to memorize that. Please memorize this. Historic. What's happening? The people of Israel had rebelled against God. All right? They had said, God, we don't want you. We're going to do it our way. And what happened? They got kicked out of the promised land. Remember that cool land we talked about? The land flowing with milk and honey and God provided. And, but he says, you know what? If you want to stay in the land, you need to follow me. You need to follow my word. Well, they says, I reject God and I reject his word. And invading armies came in and took them to be kind of slaves again. They were exiled. They were kicked out of the promised land. But it's in the midst of this crisis that God speaks this scripture to them. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's promised in this scripture to remain true to his covenant of love for his people. And he was saying to them, I still have great plans for you. Despite your present circumstances. It's historic. God's speaking about it's also prophetic to us today. God loves you. His plans for you are amazing. If you choose to follow him, you won't be disappointed. God has a plan for your life, a plan to give you a hope and a future. But the choice is yours. Am I going to follow God's plan or am I going to follow my plan? When we follow my plan, we get kicked out of the promised land. We get kicked off. We get in a place where like, God, where are you? And God says, humble yourself. Come back to me. Cry out to me and I will be there to restore you. Isn't God's word amazing? The Bible is not just another book. It's not just a story of a, a book of old stories and myths and fairy tales. The Bible is a collection of God's words of life for all people at all times. If you allow God to speak to you through his word, he will change your life. Jesus, today speak to us through your word. I pray that we leave here with a, an excitement, a passion, a desire 
to hear from you. That's what your word is here for, to speak to us. God, speak to each of us through your word. May it not just be a storybook that we try to get through, that we check off our list, and I read the Bible today. But God, each day we approach your Bible, the word, and say, speak to me your words of life, hope, peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy. Jesus, may the Bible, God's word, be the compass, the map, the direction for our life. Lead us, guide us, draw us closer to Jesus through his word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So maybe for homework, some of you say, you know what? I need to get a Bible. I I need to get me a Bible. Find a Bible that you can understand, all right? Start there. Don't, you know, if, if you speak 1611 English, then King James would be great for you. For most of us, I don't really understand the King James, so I, I use, there's New International Version. If you have any questions that way, you can see me, but start with the basics. Find a Bible that you understand. Start reading it. Start thinking about some of those things that we talked about today. Okay? Have a great day. Love you guys.